Hello and welcome to Fergo and the Freak. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. Joining me here is League Freak. Man, I'm just forgetting shit. I know, it's all right, but the Let's good just thing keep going. is... Yeah, the good thing is this... this you see, you put me off. <laughs> the, the good thing about this episode is that while we're forgetting stuff, we'll talk about Rugby League history, which is something we don't always do from time to time because current events get in the way of history sometimes and we both love talking about the history of the game and you being a, a rugby league historian it's fantastic because you teach me a lot about the game as we go yes um let's make it clear that's the second time i've stuffed that up <laughs> we just had a good laugh about it and i thought i'm gonna write it down so i don't stuff it up and i stuffed it up again so um i'm no. andrew ferguson you can find me on twitter at andrew rlp this is League Freak. You can find him on Twitter, at League Freak. Yeah. So, We're we going to teach you about the game. So sit we down, are. relax, and We've got, uh, the, got, got the nonsense out of the way. So let's get into the serious stuff here. All right. We're going to look at um, one of the minor cup competitions that went on during the 70s. So in the, especially from, from about 1962, they started having the Wills Preseason Cup. Mm-hmm. Um it's just a quick sort of knockout little competition type thing, pretty much just trials. Uh, and then in the 70s, there was just cups going on all the time, pre-season cups, midweek cups, end-of-season cups. One of them was the Endeavour Cup, and it only lasted two seasons, and it was brought in primarily to trial new rule ideas and also to give teams that were outside of the finals race a chance to keep playing football so that their players could actually still impress selectors for end of season kangaroo tours and world cup squads and stuff like that yeah and it's interesting because it kind of shows the different era that rugby league was in at that time because now we just have train on squads it's like yeah just keep training boys but back then like you had guys with jobs and things like that so they they needed to be playing games. They couldn't just go and train at the gym five days a week, you know. So, and it, it's kind of a, like a little bit of an insight into that, which I think is really cool. Yeah. So, in 1970, the Cronulla Sutherland Club put forward a proposal to the New South Wales Rugby League to host an end of season comp between the teams finishing fifth to eighth on the ladder. Um, Toyota Thies uh, agreed to sponsor the event, and. The competition was only going to be played over the first two Sundays during the final series to allow players to stay fit and in contention for squads and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so on July 27, 1970, the New South Wales Rugby League board held a meeting and agreed to let the competition go ahead. And it was to be held solely at Endeavour Field, the Sharks' home ground. Um, the competition was to have a total prize pool of ten thousand five hundred dollars. First place got five grand, second got three grand, third fifteen hundred, and fourth a thousand. So, which meant every team competing won money, mm, which is interesting. That's a fair whack of money too. Yeah, for the time, it's, it's pretty hefty. Yeah. Now, interestingly enough, given that this was a Cronulla Sharks idea and it was at their home ground, um. They were sitting in ninth on the ladder and looked like that they may not qualify for their own competition because you had to be in the top. You had to be fifth, sixth, seventh, or eighth to, to play in the comp. Mm-hmm. But in the last two games of the year, they managed to sneak in after a 23-2 win over Penrith and then a 34-6 hiding of Parramatta. Got them into eighth place and qualified for their own tournament. 
It's weird. <laughs> it, it, it makes you actually think about like, would the competition have been an abject failure had they made the the finals if they'd made the top five? Like, what the, <laughs> what would have that done to the crowds and stuff? It was the fact that they weren't very good kind of helped make the competition. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, that's the thing. In 1970, I mean, they'd spent, you know, they were in their fourth year in the top grade, mm-hmm. and they had not been anywhere near being a finalist in that whole period of time. Mm-hmm. So I thought this could be our way to try and help get our players a bit more game time and get noticed, I guess. Yeah, and, you know, the other thing is, too, it's interesting that they allowed these this tournament to be held at the same time as the final series and that there wasn't too much of a concern that it was going to take away from the final series um, because I know these days it would not happen. Like, they'd be like, no, you're not doing anything during the final series. Um, so, yeah, I, I find that interesting as well. Especially given that the idea was put forward um, on July 27, and one month later it had been approved, prize money had been organised, and the first game kicked off. Hang on a second. Didn't they have to form a committee that was going to form the committee that was going to talk about maybe introducing that 10 years from now? Like, that's how it works these days. Yeah, it was give us an idea, rip in. Yeah. <laughs> and Simple I guess I wonder, like, too, at that time, and, and sometimes it gets lost on the game, like, just looking for new avenues to make money. Like, I, I want, it's... It kind of goes missing these days in rugby league because it's all about the TV deal and stuff. But um, very early on in the game's history, that was very much entrepreneurial and it was like, well, we've got an idea to make money. Let's try this. This might be the last of those moments within the game where an idea was brought up there like, let's put this on. And they thought, sort of thought, yeah, this is a chance to make a little bit of cash. Yeah, you might be right, actually. Um on August the 30th, the Endeavour Cup began with a double header at the Sharks' home ground. Cronulla took on Newtown in the first game at half past one, and then Balmain played East at, in the 3.30 game. These games were the first played anywhere in, in the world at a professional level under the new six-tackle rule. They were played purely as a trial as opposed to the four-tackle rule that was currently in place. Which is cool because, I mean, what year was it that the fourth tackle rule was brought in and it changed from unlimited? 66? Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's not too too much earlier. And that had, a, right. that had quite a big impact on the sport. And it's interesting that they decided to look at adding another couple of tackles um, so quickly anyway. Yeah, so the first game was a fairly sloppy affair. Um, and the full merits of the, the new rule were just, they weren't seen there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tommy Bishop copped a stray elbow to the face, which resulted in him losing two teeth. Oh, and with 12 minutes remaining in the game, he got sent off for tripping. Isn't that oh, interesting? Yeah, uh, especially what we've been talking about recently. Um, yes. Yeah, what, you know, a trip, a trip at a player gets sent off. It, yep. We should go back to that. Back to the good old days. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Newtown won that game 13-11. to 11. The second game, though, between Bowman and East was much, much better, provided everyone with the full benefits of the six-tackle rule. Most notably was the, a huge reduction in the number of scrums in the game. So the first game between uh, Cronulla and Newtown, 
had 38 scrums, which was on par for what most games had at the time in that in the season. Mm-hmm. 38 scrums. How good were they, though? Like, it was just so entertaining watching them pack and unpack and repack and then a penalty and... Oh, why can't we go back to that? Because they're the good old days, aren't they? Well, this is this is this is what we keep getting told anyway. Yeah. So the reason why there's so, so many scrums, just just in case anyone's wondering, okay, you only had four tackles, which meant you had about two to three tackles really of trying to get as much field position as you could with your players with ball in hand, and then you'd try and find touch. You'd have a contested scrum. That was the idea. You, you definitely had to find touch. Get a contested scrum because the scrums then were 50-50 and try and get the ball back at the scrum so you can get another four tackles and try and make your way upfield. It's like having a proper set of six but with a really clumsy scrum in the middle of it. Mm. And it's interesting how like the the change in mindset and tactics um, and, yeah, like trying to get that scrum because – and they really were. Like if you look at scrums from back – then any literally anything could happen yeah and that's what you were banking on you know it wasn't even it was like let's get the ball down to their end and then who knows what will (laughs) happen yeah they weren't they weren't clean neat scrums like you see in rugby union where they make sure they've they're formed properly they make them hold and they make them all join at the same time the rugby league scrums in those days were you just dive in whenever you feel you're ready Mm mm-hmm and, and it's worth noting, they, it was only a few years after this that John Farragut ended up with a, um, a a twisted neck, which left him a paraplegic. Yeah, terrible, terrible injury. Um, the, the, you know, you could watch scrums, and we, we were. We were actually watching a game from around this era, maybe a little bit earlier, and the scrums were literally spinning 180 degrees. So both teams were on the separate opposite sides of where they started the scrum. Um, and yeah, the ball would spit out and like, there'd be points even in the one game that we had a look at where you would think, oh yeah, the ball's out and then there'd be a penalty and literally you've got no idea what the penalty's for because if they could find penalties, if they could, if they could not penalize the mess you'd just seen, but then find a penalty at the end of it, like what on earth is going on? That's exactly right. It was, it was a mess. So you used to get... 30, 40-odd scrums in a game. It wasn't mm. even odd to see 50 scrums in a game and mm. almost a similar number of penalties. Yeah, you know, People want to complain about how stop-start the game is today with the bunker and stuff like that. Think if you had 60 to 70 stoppages in a game, minimum, for penalties and scrums only. Yeah. It just one of the best things we ever did was get away from that. Yeah. And, so it, and it they appears... knew it at the time. The funny thing is, right... They knew it at the time, and yet you yeah. still get people now that'll be like, oh, they were the good old days. Yeah. So this second game that was played between Bowman and East had 16 scrums compared to 38 in the first one. Mm-hmm. 16. Big there was deal. also the extra involvement of ball-playing forwards, most notably and obviously Arthur Beetson, who was getting involved two to three times per set instead of doing one obvious hit-up. Yeah. Um. Bowman beat a bits and pieces east side 34 to 12, which saw them advance to the final against Newtown on the following Sunday, while East and Cronulla just were playing off for third. After the match, all the coaches were in grants that the new rule looked to improve the game. Do you want me to read out a few quotes from some of the coaches and players? Yeah, yeah, it's, I'd, I'd, I'd love to hear some of the quotes. 
All right. Harry Bath, who is the Newtown and Australian test coach, he said uh, of the six-tackle rule, I like it. The six tackles give a team that little extra to work with and provide more continuity to the play. The element of panic is not as prevalent and there aren't as many drop passes. The players have more time to settle down. It's interesting that he... I mean, that's such a good quote because you can... It almost like paints a picture in your head, hey? Mm. Um, And yeah, those extra couple of tackles, I guess it gives you... And it, you know, I've always said, I, I've always felt like the six tackles and you can get six points for a converted try is, you know, it's perfect. And yeah, the six tackles, like you can even see in the modern day game, when you get seven tackles, it's completely different. Six tackles was just the right number. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely spot on. Uh, Tommy Bishop, the Cronulla Sharks captain coach, he said, the rule could bring the forwards into the play a bit more, but there would be no chance of going back to the old bash and barge under the four-tackle rule because, after all, there are only six tackles to work with. I can see the forwards driving the ball in attack, but this is good football. I would like to see another couple of matches under this rule before finally making up my mind on its merits. Yeah, really really measured response, that one. Considering that he played in the the game that was essentially the, the sloppy one, mm-hmm. which probably was more like the current four-tackle rule than the, the six-tackle rule. Mm-hmm. That, that'd be why he was a little bit more tentative about it. Yeah, you know, the other thing is, too, they add two extra tackles that you've got, and it's like the first game, I mean, that it sounds like it was a lot like the game that they'd been playing for a number of years, mm. which is understandable. But for the second game to be so different, it kind of shows the immediate effect that it had. Yeah. And like, so, even, even, even he could see that, like even after being in that messy one, that messy game, he could see the difference. Yeah. Uh, Don Ferner, the coach for East at the time, in that game, he said, in our game, there are only 16 scrums and that has to make the match better. Better. I like the idea of the six tackles. The best football will come on the fourth, fifth and sixth tackles when the defense is starting to tire a little. That's somewhere almost insightful. There. Yeah, I was going to say somewhere out there, Paul McGregor's just seething. <laughs> <laughs> Not the six tackle. Not um, the, ah, they should only they should go back to three. Oh. <laughs> Bowman coach Leo Nosworthy said, from our match, it was obvious that there was not the panic from the players that has been there at times, nor were there as much useless kicking, and this has to be better for the game. Yeah, there you go. And it's interesting because um, we think of rugby league as a passing game these days, and back then kicking was so important, and it really changed the the fabric a little bit of the, the game and made it what they wanted rugby league to be. You know, like, no one wants rugby league to be about the kicking. You want it to be about the running with the football, the passing plays, all of the magnificent try-scoring plays. And it's really interesting. Their quotes, they sound like modern-day quotes because they've really thought about it. You know, they yeah. haven't just said, oh, it's good, it's crap. And we get a lot of that these days, I guess. But these are really thought-out, insightful quotes. That's right, and... I think the thing that I like about it is they're so open to change. like, And it's not about their team. They're not thinking about their team. They're thinking about the game. You hear that a lot in there. It's got to be better for the game. Mm-hmm. No self-interest. Yeah, I like talking about that they like the football. You know, it's 
it's great. It's great yeah. to hear. That's why I love these quotes. They're so good. Um, the final saw Newtown beat Balmain 12-8 to claim their first title of any kind since they won the City Cup back in 1945, some 25 years ago. Uh, the win was more impressive given that Newtown played the last 30 minutes with only 12 men on the field after John Oakley got sent off for a deliberate high tackle. Wow, that's interesting. Um, despite East fielding a poor side and Cronulla failing to reach the final, the competition saw the Cronulla club financially end up almost square for that tournament. That's about the best financial position I had for th- another 30 or 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> So one, so they, they there was just two games that was played under the six tackle rule. One mm-hmm. of them was a good game. The other one was not much different to the current four tackle rule. Mm-hmm. That one good game was enough to convince the New South Wales Rugby League to implement six tackle rule for the following premiership season. It's a big change, and to go off of it that quickly. I mean, people at the Everybody that they consulted must have said, man, the football's so much better. You know, even in the even in the poor game, it must have been better than what they were seeing, hey? Yeah, and the, the thing that gets me about that is the fact that Bellman played an understrength East team. It wasn't even East at their best. Mm-hmm. And that was still enough. They still went, yep, this already looks so much better. We're definitely going to change. Do you imagine yeah. the NRL making one change today based on one thing? in one game. I, I just can't imagine it happening. It's I'm trying to think if we've ever had a situation like that in recent years and nothing really jumps out at me. Um, I mean, the only ones that have come through have been things about, I'd probably say the shoulder charge after Inglis flattened Dean Young. Yeah. And it, it really got momentum that. going, yeah, towards that, that change. Yeah. And obviously the, the gallon punching Nate Miles in the, in his massive six head, not forward. Um, <laughs> well, I tell you what, that's got to be the that's got to be the very closest we've had in modern day because, like, that rule was brought in almost immediately on the back of that. Um, but, but I mean, in comparison, they're not really the same thing because we're not really changing the play with those two. Yeah, I guess back then they had faith that if they got more football being played that that was going to be a good thing. And because rugby league, I mean, even in the early days, it was trying to get away from what rugby union was. And you can see that in some of the very early rule changes. We're just getting away from a lot of rugby union rules that they had. Um, And so there's always been this thought that rugby league should be a running game. And I guess what they saw in those early contests with the six tackles they realised really quickly, this is what we want the game to be. So let's just do it. But it is still a massive change. I mean, to bring it straight in, it's it was pretty ballsy. Yeah, it really was. Um, so so successful were, was the uh, the six tackle rule, and so happy were the New South Wales Rugby League with how that that Endeavour Cup tournament went. They agreed to let it go through for another year. And so, nineteen seventy one. There was talk that the game was going to be expanded to include more teams, possibly from Wollongong, Newcastle, and Brisbane. Wow. In the end, uh, I think the the second time around, it was it included all of the teams that missed the finals. And just having a look there, 
I think some of the teams that were in the, I think the teams that may have got eliminated in the first week of the finals also played in it as well later on. I'm not sure on that. Okay. But um, so the the rules they decided that they were trial in the 1971 competition was um, trainers would be allowed to come onto the field and attend to injured players without mm-hmm. having the game stopped. Now, this was interesting because w- when you told me about this one, I didn't really understand it, but then you referenced something that we saw in an older grand final where uh, – was it a grand final? Was it a yeah, test it was, match? No, it was the 66 grand final we're looking okay. at. Okay. So basically the game – when a player went down injured, the game stopped completely and a doctor come onto the field and treated the player. Now – when we say treated the player, it was very, very rudimentary. <laughs> and like, I don't know. I can't really tell you how he treated him other than giving him a pep talk, to be honest with you. It looked but, like, well, let's put it out. Okay. It looked like the player copped a head knock, which today would be, you know, you'd go and have a HIF test for. The medic looked like someone who worked on an ambulance, came out with a suitcase with a cross on it. Mm. He ran onto the field essentially got a tissue or a hanky out of the bag and wiped the player's face, and they pretty much just said, get up and stop being a soft cock, and then run off the field. Yeah, and, like, the player was literally writhing around on the ground in agony. <laughs> he was. And, we're like, we're watching it, and it's just, it it doesn't seem right. And so this rule, basically, instead of the game stopping like that while a player was treated by the doctor... Um, that they could have the trainers like treat them in back play while the game yeah. continued. Yeah. So the the player is so in a case like that where it was someone who was playing the ball, he would give the ball to another player. He played the ball five ten meters away, and then they'd play the game on away from the player there, so that he could be treated without without the game being stopped. Now, isn't it interesting that this rule was brought in back then to stop that, right? And in current day rugby league in the NRL, it's almost going back to, because now the trainers can stop the play. They can wave to the referee to stop the play. And we're seeing that, and look, we're not doctors, we're not there treating the players, but there seems to be a lot of instances where it kind of works in the favour of the team that's trying to stop the play. They're, they're stopping it for all sorts of things. And we've seen in recent weeks, like, a player had a cut knee and the play was stopped so that he could get his knee wiped with a, you know, a cloth. And we're seeing way more of that now. And it makes you wonder if some of the lessons were forgotten. And I understand that player, you know, you've got to look after the player's safety above everything else. But it's interesting that back then they were trying to get away from that happening. I think the thing that's fascinating for me about this is that after the advent of the six-tackle rule and how it came in and it, it reintroduced running play, less panic, more open running, and it made the game more attractive, that the games knew then that this stop-start caper that's gone on with the game is bad and we need to get rid of it. What mm-hmm. else sees the game stop unnecessarily? And they went, oh, players have been treated for injury. Let's yeah. speed the game up even further and just take the ball off them, play on, he can get cleaned up in the back play. Because also people have got to remember too, the substitution rule back then was way different to what there is now. Mm. So if you if you went off the field to get treated for an injury, you weren't allowed back onto the field. That was it. You were done for the day. 
So if a star player, especially like back then, if it was like Bob Fulton got injured or needed a cut cleaned up, he needed to stitch something like that, they'd do it on the field so that he didn't have to come off so he could keep playing after he got treated. That's how it was. Yeah. So that's the way, that's why that rule was brought in. And nowadays, with players who are fitter, faster, stronger, professional, they do this stuff 24-7, they're looking for any way they can to slow the game down. It's kind of weird. It's like... <laughs> the complete opposite. It's almost senseless. Yeah, and the thing that we see a lot of today, I mean, there uh, even in the game that we watched this evening, there was... There, there were a couple of instances where you're like, well, why doesn't he just go at the back and, and treat this? You know, and these, these aren't major injuries we're talking about. This might be taping up a player's head. You know, it, it can be all sorts of little things. I don't understand why we've got to keep stopping the play every single time. And I really do. I, the players, you've got to look after the players. Like, mm-hmm. no one's saying don't do that. But we need to not stop play every single time. They knew that back then. We should know that now. Yeah. So the other things they did in this 1971 comp, um, they shortened the game. This is this wasn't a rule change. This was just to try and get the games over quickly. But they, they shortened the halves to 25 minutes each. Mm-hmm. Um, they also televised every single game live. Wow. Wow. That's and, really interesting. I would never have thought that it, that something like that was done that many years ago. Especially for something as insignificant as a a cup competition trialling new rules mm. amongst the eight teams that didn't make the finals. Yeah, like, I mean, it wasn't that long ago they didn't show all the finals games on TV. Mm. And here they were back then showing these teams that didn't make the finals every single game. Um, I guess the shorter the shorter game format, the shorter time that they were playing for worked in into TV's favour. That would have helped because you're not showing like, you know, eight hours of rugby league all of a sudden it's a lot less. But, yeah, that's still very interesting. Especially too back then because in the 70s, obviously, you know, TV and rugby league were only just starting their relationship. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't it wasn't a very friendly one to some degree because – the concern rugby league had was if we start televising games with them on TV, no one will come to the game to watch it. Yeah. And they, you know, a lot of their income came from gate takings. Whereas on TV, they're not making, if, if there's 500,000 people watching the game on TV, they're not making money from each of those 500,000 people. That's their mindset. Yeah. So I wonder thinking, how... That's money lost to us. Yeah. I wonder how much money they got. Uh, from it being shown on TV. Like, I bet it Not, was a yeah. ridiculously small amount. If it was tiny. Any, you know, I wouldn't even be shocked if you come up with that figure and it's like, well, they then they made them pay for all the equipment that was put up for these games and stuff. <laughs> like, you know. Uh, I've, I've got a feeling it might have been a few thousand dollars a year. Wow, and it came from the ABC... Oh, really? And there was another broadcaster as well. might have been Channel 7. I can't remember who it was broadcasting back then. Wow. But, yeah, they, they only made a few thousand dollars out of TV rights. Mm-hmm. So that that's why they didn't televise many games because mm-hmm. they were worried it was going to hurt gate takings. And this is at a time in the 70s too when the game was starting to dip down. The 
There wasn't many people coming to watch it. There wasn't they were struggling with sponsors. Clubs were starting to put sponsors on the front of their jumpers mm-hmm. as a way to try and get extra revenue for the teams because the, the competition was struggling a bit. Um, as we find out about two or three years later, violence on the field escalates to horrific levels and stays there for about four or five years. Um, and then by the late 70s, Jim Comins comes in as part of the judiciary and and decides to have a massive crackdown and starts dishing out massive suspensions for illegal acts just to try and clean the game up and has great effect. It just shows yeah. you that this is all going on prior to what we know now. This is the this is essentially the last hard time rugby league had prior to the Super League War. Yeah, and it, it, like it makes you wonder about if they had a state at the four tackle rule and the game descended into that period where it was, I mean, it was thuggish behaviour by every team. It was just what rugby league had turned into, unfortunately, at the time. Um, it makes you wonder where the game would have found itself because having the six tackles obviously helped the football and then getting rid of the thuggish behaviour out of the game and the like the terrible acts that we were seeing with the crackdown by the judiciary. And when that all come together... It propelled rugby league into the eighties, where it just exploded. Yeah, it allowed them to do genuine expansion outside of Sydney for the first time when they brought in Canberra and Illawarra in eighty two, mm-hmm. and then it, like immediately off the back of that, there was already talk of Newcastle coming back into the comp, and then obviously Brisbane coming, you know, having a team in the comp, Gold Coast as well came along in nineteen eighty eight with those two, so. It was because the game had got cleaned up and started becoming appealing again that expansion started to becoming something that they could genuinely do. And the rapid improvement in the game and the quality of it from even 1980, 1981 to 1988, we're only talking six, seven years here, the the speed of which it grew um, appeal with the public is insane. And then you had, just as it's about to look like it, it's, it might start to taper off, Tina Turner comes up, like, yeah, perfectly timed, mm-hmm. and bang, next level. And then all of a sudden, pay TV talk comes in. How can we make more money out of this? And then you had the Super League War. It just shows you how a few little changes back in the 70s has a pretty significant role in how the game grew so rapidly through the 80s and into the 90s and into that massive tug of war over who's going to own the rights to broadcast it. And it's really interesting because... If, like, I know for you and me, like, say in 1995 or 19, let's go 1994 before Super League, um, if you had have been talking about stuff that happened in the, like, late 70s, it was like another time completely. It was like oh, so, yeah. such a different, like, you might as well have been in a different universe. And if you'd been talking about stuff that happened in the early 70s, that's even worse. But when you look back at it, it wasn't that long ago at all. Like, I like I know you would remember when Newcastle and Brisbane were the new teams. Yeah. You know, and it, it's it's funny to, when you look back at the times that uh, when Newcastle and Brisbane were the new teams, in reality, Canberra and Wollongong were kind of still new as well. Yeah, they were like six, seven years old. Yeah, it's not much. But at the time, it was like, oh, they've been around forever. 
We've already moved on from them. They're not shiny anymore. Nah, nah. It's really funny, huh? Oh, it is. So, and here's something that a lot of people won't, won't uh, be aware of, but in 1971 in the Endeavour Cup, Cronulla beat Canterbury 2013, and this was Cronulla's first ever first-grade title. A oh, lot of yeah. people think it's the 78-79 Amco Cup. Mm-hmm. It's not. It was the Endeavour Cup in 1971. And I believe, I'm not confident, I believe it's at the Cronulla Sharks Leagues Club. Mm-hmm. Um, I did try and go and see it a few years ago, and they didn't know where it was because they were doing some renovations at the time. All right. But, well, um, at least they, they know it's around there somewhere. Yeah, so I'm hoping to see it sometime soon. Yeah. Um, so the the rule with the trainer was seen as another big success, and it was also implemented into the premiership uh, premiership season for 1972 the following year. Mm-hmm. However, the major sponsor, Toyota Thies, had only signed an agreement for two years to sponsor this competition, and they they did not want to sponsor it for the third year. Mm-hmm. And while Cronulla were going through the uh, 1972 season, they were trying to find a sponsor for it and couldn't find one. And in the end, the New South Wales Rugby League said, if you haven't got a sponsor, we can't have it. And so yeah. it ended at the end of 71. But it only ran for two seasons. Um, in that 1971 competition, half the money that they um, got through the gate takings were donated to the New South Wales Paraplegic Association. Oh, wow. And the other half was to pay for sponsorship and hosting the games and whatever costs Cronulla got out of having to host the thing. So Pretty it turned out in, that... I was going to say, it turned out so Cronulla didn't lose any money out of it. Oh, that's good. Um, it's incredible that this competition that was only around for two years had such a massive impact on not only rugby league in Sydney, but rugby league across the world. Because that six tackle rule was picked up pretty much immediately by everyone. Yep. And I mean, it it forms the basis of the game we still have today. And I don't think anyone's ever talking about changing from six tackles. It really is perfect for rugby league. Um, and it's interesting that it has stayed perfect from even the, from when we had the five meter rule into the ten meter rule era as well. And through unlimited interchange and back to limited interchange it's always been six tackles and it's never needed change they really nailed it yeah absolutely locked it down it's Mm -hmm. it's uh phenomenal how much impact this tiny little knockout competition had on the game and yeah you can thank the cronulla sharks for the six tackle rule that's a genuine fact because it was them who came up with this idea. It was them who got the sponsors on board. It was them who provided the venue because, remember, they own the ground. Mm-hmm. Cronulla did all the heavy lifting in this. And yeah. to have those rules come in, you've got to thank the Sharks for that. Yeah, it's We're... brilliant. And it, it really a, a little bit of a forgotten part of history, that point in the game's history. It's, uh, it's so cool to hear about it and, and so cool to – um, you know, read quotes from the time and, and things like that. It's uh it really is. It's it's kind of eye opening and it's it's incredible that you get a chance to bring out these little parts of history of the history of the game that was so important that uh, they just go under the radar sometimes. They do it also begs the question why we don't do little competitions like this, just even knockout ones, to try on new rules. 
Well, I've, I mean, they've, there's been times where they've trialled rules at the end of the season with teams that aren't in the finals. And I'm not a real big fan of that because I think that you should leave the premiership rounds as are they are. Fully um, agree. They've, they've tried um, trialling games in. I mean, I remember a few years ago they trialled some stuff in the under-20s competition when we had that in the NYC. Um, I've always wondered why, with teams that miss their NRL finals, if there is the opportunity to have some sort of knockout competition with teams in Super League that miss their final series, um, even if it's like these days, if you had a nines competition or something, like and and have it midweek and have it like I don't know, don't, don't have it in Australia or New Zealand or even in Great Britain, like play it in France or something, play it somewhere different, play it in the United States and play it midweek. And so you've got, because all of these players are under contract as it is. Um, and so why not just take advantage of that? I fully agree. I mean, and you can even do what they did in the 1971 um, Endeavour Cup and just make the half shorter. Yeah. We're just yeah. trying on new rules. So if we make the half shorter, then they're playing less games, there's less chance of injury. You're trying a few new things out. And because there's nothing on the line, no one's going to go out and do anything bloody stupid and go go bloody bonkers and try and kill someone or anything like that. You're trying something new. Yeah, and you know what? It would be interesting if you had a competition like that and the winning team gets a whack of money. Yeah. Like, and maybe because, I mean, obviously the players get paid what they get paid. They're not short of cash, but... I wonder if you had 50% of the prize money went to the players. I wonder how that would change how good they played in the competition. You know what I mean? That's, that's not a bad idea. Yeah. So if you were to have, I'll put this to you now. If yeah. you were to have a, a competition between the bottom eight teams in the comp, right? Mm-hmm. Right now. And say you hold it at Bankwest Stadium over mm-hmm. two or three weekends. Mm-hmm. Make it two weekends. What rule would you be trialling in that competition? It's a really good question. With a a view to bring it into the NRL the following year. So it doesn't have to be anything game-changing, but just something to try and make the game, I dare say, better. Um, Well, I mean, obviously I don't like the seven-tackle rule, so that would be the main one that I would want to change. But if you're looking at something a a little bit different, I wonder if you took kickoffs back to the 40-metre line. I wonder if that would change things too much. Like, it'd obviously give the team that receives the ball much better field position by the end of their set of six. Um, And it might start... It it might get rid of a couple of um, sets of six where you're sort of setting up. Like, I would feel like you would be in a a decent enough position to maybe go for a try on your first set of six that you receive the ball. Um, not that I think that's a problem. Like, no. I, I'm just trying to think of something that you would give a go and just see how it works. Well, I've got one here, um, which I've literally just thought of as you were talking then. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's almost gone. That's brilliant. <laughs> oh, that's right. What if... If you found touch from a kick, doesn't matter how long or short the kick is, the team who kicked the ball gets a scrum feed. And now the oh, reason man. why I say this, okay, is mm-hmm. not because I want to see more kicking in the games. 
but teams will start putting their wingers back to defend against the kick, mm-hmm. which means you then have the attacking team with 13 players running against the defensive line that's got 10 in it because the fullback will be back, so will the two wingers. But then what stops, say, a centre getting the ball and just kicking it straight over the sideline? Well, there's not much point if if they've already got the ball in hand and they're, they're close to the sideline. But you'd get an extra set of six, wouldn't you? Well, you could probably change it around. You don't get a tackle restart. Or I'm trying to think how you would... Maybe so, you could... So the idea there then is that there's not much point kicking for touch and trying to get a constant set of six, uh, constant set of six to to repeat all the time and just hold the ball. The tackle count doesn't restart for you, so mm-hmm. you have to use it tactically, not just all the time to to hold the ball for ages. Yeah. So the I... only way to work is if you on the second tackle decide to kick downtown when no one's gone back and you get a scrum feed thirty meters from the opposition side or something like that. Yeah. I wonder if there maybe um. See, I don't know how well a winger could cover the entire sideline. Um, That's kind of the point, though, is that you're getting them out of the defensive line. Yeah. To defend against a kick that probably won't happen. Because then the when you've got a three-man overlap, you're going to throw the ball around. You're not going to kick for touch. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what I was thinking there. Yeah, and you're going to have the winger running up to try and uh, get back into or, or be an effective defender at some point. Yeah. when the ball is spread wide. But by then, the the attacking team isn't going to be looking to kick for that, that uh, sideline. It'd be interesting to see it in play. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to see it given a go and see how it changes the game. Yeah, because I think it might be a way to, I suppose, yeah, improve ball play. Um, and, yeah, I suppose take, take less... Uh, yeah, it'll make, it'll make scrums more tactical. Yeah, and you know what? That's It's the perfect opportunity to try stuff like that. Yeah. Because, like, we're sitting here and we're like, how would that work and stuff? You, you, and you get to see it. You get to see it work. You get to see if it is a good idea or a bad idea, if it turns the game into 50 scrums again or what. It, like, that's the whole point of trialling a rule like that. I'll tell you another one that might be interesting what if you get rid of the double movement completely? Ooh. So you get close to the line. If you can get that ball there, you get that ball there. I don't. I, I don't mind that. I think that's a good idea. Be interesting because yeah. I feel as though the current double movement rule is not used in the way that it was intended to earlier on in the sports history. Um, I don't yeah. think they ever intended it to be a thing where a player should ever think, no, I won't go for the try. Yeah, we should be trying to promote um, attacking play. Because mm. it is, for the most part, it's relatively hard to score points in rugby league. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm I'm open to that one, absolutely. And I wonder, like, and, and I wonder things like, um, say, for instance, if a team misses a a goal, a kick at goal, a kick at penalty goal, whether the line dropout instead of being on the 20-metre mark should be on the 30-metre mark, um, and just things like that. Like, should a 20-metre a tap be a 30-metre tap? Um, I would like to see all of these things trialled. Yeah, I think they're, they're all very, very good ideas. I mean, one I always had was um, 
if you if you get a penalty and you want to take the tap, then you should mm-hmm. be able to take it from anywhere on that line where the ref says that your penalty's from. Mm-hmm. You should be able to take the tap anytime you want, even if you've got players in front of you. But only they can only be in front of you for the first tackle. They have to be yeah. behind you for the second. So if they're not back on side by the time you've got to play the ball for the second, you've got to stand there and wait for them to get back on. Yep, yep. I like that one too. Um, I think another one that would be cool to see brought in is like just being able to take a quick tap, like instead of having to wait for certain situations, allow a quick tap yeah. like it used to be. I feel like you used to be able to take a quick tap all the time. How about this one? Striking at the play the ball. That's a good one. I'd like to see how modern day players deal with that. Yep. No, I'm, I'm big on that. Because that would actually make the second marker useful. Because that is the reason why you have a second marker. Mm. Is it's just in case people weren't too sure. Okay, you, the idea of second marker is that they had to play like the hooker if your team had the ball while you're defending. Because back then you had the bloke playing the ball and his opposition was trying to get the ball off him, and behind both of those was your hooker. So if you were able to rake the ball out of the ball player's hands at the play of the ball, the bloke whose second mark would be sitting behind you would be the the hooker. He just immediately fired out like you just like was your ball. That's their point. That's their reason for being there. Right now, second marker serves zero purpose other than to get him out of the defensive line. Well, here's another idea. What if you allowed just one marker or no markers? How would that change the game? It would obviously make the defensive line uh, better, but you're going to be running all day out of dummy half. I feel as though you could do one. You could there do used one to be a, There used to be a rule, and I think it got scrapped, where if you got tackled and there was no marker in place when you got up to play the ball, you could tap the ball forward and just run forward again. You didn't have to play it back to the dummy half. Yeah, and I loved that rule. I hated yeah. when they got rid of that because it, it let you take advantage of poor defense and yeah. lazy defense. Or a fast and, break. Yeah, uh, and it, it really was fantastic. And it happened a lot, and it was mm. fine. You know, there wasn't anything wrong with it. I feel as though that was one of those rules that coaches didn't like, and they got rid of it. Yeah, because getting rid of it meant that if the team did make a break and someone got tackled, then essentially they had to wait to for the bloke to get to mark before they could play the ball. Mm-hmm. It just allowed the defensive side to get onside. It kind of put a dampener on an attack. Yeah. And, yeah, I, I wouldn't mind seeing that one scrapped, to be honest. What about but, things like, and they're not rules that, and none of these that I'm going to say now are rules I'd like the thought of, but what about different points from a kick? If you kick to a winger and the winger scores, what about three points instead of four? Um, I, I don't like it. Yeah, you look, could I, troll it. The problem I'd have with it is, what if you decide to kick somewhere a bit more in field to a second rower? You know, like Luke Lewis used to, used to always ca- take a few catches for the Sharks and he'd only be like 10 metres from the goalpost. Mm-hmm. Would that be a full, you know, all four points for a try or would that be a cheaper one? I guess there's a, a other instances where, like, what if a kick was aimed at the post and you caught it <laughs> off the post, you know? <laughs> Well, I guess um, the other one too is what if you you Mitch Moses you put a kick up there for Blake Ferguson he bats the ball back and someone else scores off it does is that count as a kick a try from a kick or not? That's a great example. That's a really great example. Um, 
You know who would be a good person to talk talk to about this would be Paul McGregor. Yeah, yeah. Well, Paul McGregor, I mean, first of all, he would say, look, any any try scored after the third tackle shouldn't count anyway. Yeah, I'll just give him one point for those. And if it's off a kick, just give him one point for those. If the Dragons do it, then we get 10 points for him. What if Someone. we bring in a rule where if you kick the ball from a penalty or a conversion and it hits a post, you get a point? <laughs> AFL style, a consolation AFL point. Style. Yeah. Yeah, why not? What about if you hit the if you hit the post and it hits the and it hits like the upright but then it goes down and hits the crossbar as well, you get 3 points. <laughs> That would make goal kicking very different. It really would. That's the thing. I, I, I would argue that hitting the post is harder to do than converting a try because the the space you you got to move in to get to get the two points for converting a try or kicking a penalty goal is much wider than one post. Yeah, but it take a fair bit of skill to kick up to hit a post. Like think about how many times in the whole history of the game. Teams have been going for field goals and they've hit the post instead. What if that counted as the point? It'd be so weird, hey? Like all their moments, you know, Benny Elias. Oh, don't go there. Put <laughs> <Brought> it up. <laughs> oh, can you imagine, Andrew? Uh, ben, Benny hits the crossbar and his arms go in the air and they lift him up. Yeah. Change the fabric of the game's history. It would. Balmain would still be around, probably. <laughs> probably, eh? <hey. laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, there you go. That was the, a look at the uh, the Endeavour Cup competition. Lasted two years. Newtown broke a duck by winning their first title in 25 years in 1970. Sharks scored their first ever first-grade title with it, so it, was, it made two clubs very happy. Yeah, it did, and it's... Uh... Funny little quirk in rugby league's history that had a massive impact on the game overall. Yeah, we saw the uh, six-tackle rule coming everywhere. So um, thank you, Cronulla Sharks. Yeah, thank you very much, Sharkies. You you did add something to the game. It was good. There you go. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll wrap this one up. What do you reckon? Yeah, uh, fantastic history episode. We're going to be doing more of them because we love history. Absolutely. So uh, tune in next time, and I promise I'll get the intro right next time.